Hi everyone, uh, this is the third attempt at recording episode four because Andy can't work the computer and uh, who hacks the It's warmed us all up, it's good. It, it has yeah. warmed us all up. But alas, welcome to episode four. Welcome. Uh, th- this evening is... Uh, fuck. Right, try again. <laughs> Oh, it's so thrown me, like. <laughs> Right, okay, cool. Ready? Right. Three, two, one. <laughs> Hi, everyone. Uh, welcome to episode four of Ouijicast. This is the fourth attempt at recording Ouijicast. I'm keeping the other part in, mate. I'm keeping the entire other part in. It's staying in. We're, we're on Thursday the 26th of September, and this evening we've got myself, my co-host Dave. Hello. And special guest this evening, Neil. Hi all. So, if you want to kind of give yourself a quick intro, and uh, we'll dive straight into Neil's life. Well, thank you, Andy, for the introduction. Uh, I'm very happy and honoured to be here. The first guest you've ever had, which is amazing for me. Um, right, I'm my exploit. I've uh, been known that for quite a long time. Wrote a lot of blogs under that name, but I'm also my exploit 2600 on YouTube and Twitter. Excellent. So, how long have you been in industry then? Uh, far too long. No, 14 years. <laughs> so, um, yeah, I, I don't need really to split. A long time of that, I was working in IT, and an even longer time, I've been working in security roles. Excellent. So, how, how like, what got you into computing first time round? Okay, this is the point where Andy's computer normally crashes. Let's see if it happens. Yeah, true. <laughs> just every time. <laughs> well, Please don't say fault. The fourth <laughs> time I've said this. No, uh, yeah, a, a babysitter bought over to my house when I was a very young kid. I don't know how old I was. Um, a Spectrum 48K, uh, and uh, it just blew me away. Um, I we, we loaded it up, and I played games on it, and that was it for me. I was hooked on computers for the rest of my life. Yeah, uh, that's an interesting one. So, um, without revealing too much, I guess, about age, if you care about such things, but uh, roughly what age were you then Uh, when you first kind of got your mitts on a computer? Uh, My first actual physical PC that I owned myself was, I think it was about 17. There was no IT when I was at school. And no, mm-hmm. that's not true. I had a Spectrum 128 Plus for probably my eighth or ninth birthday. But there was no IT when I was at school. So what I used to do, I always wanted computers and was always interested in them. So I used to buy like a really cheap second-hand console, games console like a Nintendo NES, uh, and I'd play it to death. And then I'd buy like more and more second-hand games for it. Uh, and eventually get to a point where I'd have like, I don't know, 15 or 20 games on it and I could swap it with someone for a SNES with maybe like two or three games. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then I'd just build that game's collection up, uh, buying as many second-hand games as I could. Uh, and then I'd swap that for another console and I just kept going. And I got to a point where people would swap, you know, a console with, I don't know, 20, 30 games for an Atari ST. Uh, I'd mess around with that. And once you got an Atari ST, it was a bit of kit back in the day. You could swap that for an Amiga with loads of games. And mm-hmm. that's that's basically how I got into it. But my first ever PC, I was quite old. I couldn't afford one. Uh, and I went to PC World and bought, I'm really, I'm bitter about this even today. It was branded <laughs> as a Pentium 3. Pentium 3s had just come out. And I got it home. And as it was booting up, I could clearly see in the BIOS, it said Pentium 2. So I took it straight back to PC World, literally with about half an hour and screamed at them that you've ripped me off. And they just said, no, nah, you're wrong. You just don't understand computers and sent me on my way so it kind of brought me into having to learn about it because i couldn't afford to have it repaired when it broke and i ended up fixing it myself and that's how yeah. i learned how to build a computer and then after that i just ended up buying more and more parts for it uh, i got to a point where i couldn't upgrade it anymore and then i started building my own just from scratch 
Yeah, that's an absolute rite of passage. Um, the amount... That was my line. Yeah, I've just stole <laughs> it because I've heard you say it twice over, Andy, because your computer keeps fucking crashing. Uh, so it's mine now. Uh, so, but yeah, yeah, it is absolutely a rite of passage. Um, that's how it works, by the way, with nicking things. If your computer crashes, you deserve to have things nicked from you. <laughs> yeah, just, just rob my house. I mean, Dave's in my living room just robbing shit. <laughs> Mate, I'm, yeah, uh, just to give you his context, I'm currently downstairs recording in a separate room at Andy's house, and I'm currently just handing stuff off to a guy that's stealing it and selling it down the road so uh yeah that's what's happening this is totally fine <laughs> it's fine this is fine um so yeah no um that, that, that that's a really interesting kind of uh, start uh, kind of getting through the games consoles i'm sure you're not the only person to have gotten to computers in that exact same way um when was it you kind of started realizing that fuck man i'm interested in this stuff and i think i can get a job out of it I, I I didn't. I didn't ever think I would be able to. Um, I, I left school with nothing, and like a lot of people, uh, I always thought of IT as being for the smart people, um, and I didn't think there was a hope in hell of me. It didn't even cross my mind. Um, and to be honest, right, well, later on in life, I was working as a temp uh, in an admin role, and I just thought, I've had enough of this. I want to get into IT now. It's what I love. It's what I do. So I went back to night college uh, and studied uh, mm-hmm. But I'll be honest, even today, I, I worry, I have this fear that I'm going to go back to nothing. And I think it's what keeps driving me on. So if you said to me, you know, when did you realise you can get a career in this? Still today, I worry that I haven't got a career in it and it could end tomorrow. So uh, yeah. I, I don't really know what the real answer to that is. Nah, re- realistically, I mean, I, I know how you feel. It's the it's the imposter syndrome, uh, for kind of lack of a better phrase, but it's true. I think most pen testers who are talented... Uh, I wouldn't include myself in that, but people who are talented like yourself. I, I include you in that, mate. I've done jobs with you. I'm very proud to work alongside you. You're a very good pen tester. Oh, it's tr- oh, so cute to watch. <laughs> <laughs> I'll be invited back people, as a guest now. <laughs> this is a good I know. A part two. But now that people do fall into that that kind of false, not false sense of security, but every 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 job every report going, oh shit, am I good enough? Am I not good enough? Uh, what if what if tomorrow I get called up and sacked? Uh, what am I going to do? But a lot of people like ourselves have that experience, that wealth of experience, and will be able to pick up work. But anyway, that's not that's not the point of this podcast. The point of this podcast is learning about Neil Neil's life and why why Neil's so amazing. <laughs> so <laughs> this is really weird to me. I've never I've never been. I've once interviewed before, and I discussed this briefly when we were warming up. But in sort of fourteen years, I don't think anyone's really asked me um, what do I think or what do I do. So I'm very honoured. So that's a bit of a shame because um, when we were just at the last Glasgow DEFCON, we did a bit of a round table. Uh, and the great thing about that was having the opportunity to hear all the people, no matter what stage of their career that they were at, and hear them all talk about where they're at. So everyone struggles at the beginning, I noticed. like And like you say, it's kind of hard to talk about yourself and especially sometimes talk about yourself in a positive light. Um, but eventually people eased into it and you started really hearing about really diverse careers like their age group there was from about 18 to about 60 so um so uh and it's really interesting to hear how other people have got on and this is why i wanted to have you on the podcast after talking to you at steelcon neil was because i was originally starting to do um i was doing ccna and then obviously you told me that you were a network engineer that transitioned over and so just off the back of that how uh, when was it that you decided that you could start getting from doing network roles and start moving into pen testing out of interest? 
okay it didn't it didn't happen that way for me i was mm -hmm. told that i'm now going to go into security what happened was <laughs> i was working in a network engineer role and um i was working for a very large retailer and they were going through pci compliance and pci compliance was only really just becoming a thing back then and none of us understood it or knew what what it entailed and they just walked up to me and said uh, a senior member of the team walked up to me and said you're a network engineer that means you obviously understand security you're not now looking after the security side of this project for our internal pci program and i was just like yeah i'll do that i'll go it, it interested me mm -hmm. um and i went from there really excellent so like, did you transition straight into uh, pen testing or was there anything in between? So like, did you go straight from network engineer into junior pen tester? Because I know a lot of people do that transition or did you go via other means? Uh, no, really to start with, um, while I was working as a network engineer, I was, because they had to have uh, external pen testers come in, I was just looking after them and I was seeing what they did and I found it really, really interesting. Um, I knew that I wanted to get into that role, so I applied to go and work for a small cloud provider in Birmingham and as part of one of their SOC engineers. And they uh, employed me, and I was taken on because of my network background, actually. They thought I was some sort of firewall expert. So they hoped that they could just give me all their internal firewall configurations that they had to do for clients. But uh, as that happened, I didn't I didn't take on that role once I joined because they quite quickly realized they wanted an internal pen tester and they asked this small sock who wanted to do pen testing and amazingly or I just said yes immediately it looked like no one else was that interested but I literally just you know blew off my seat and said yeah I want to do that uh, and they sent me on the certified ethical hacker uh, training boot camp um, and I did that for a week and loved it the instructor was amazing uh, to be fair a lot of people talk about that exam um, in the UK a lot of people talk about it negatively but I can say my experience of it was very very positive and what happened was we would spend half the day going through the kind of syllabus and then the other half of the day he taught us like a lab he bought a lab in and he taught us how to use Metasploit and it just blew my mind it was amazing I've no, I learned so much during that week and I went back and just studied more and more then I did the licensed pen tester after that and passed that as well and then went back and carried on working for them for a bit as, as an internal pen tester who was doing pre-audits before they got external people in and the idea was was just to get rid of all the kind of low-hanging fruit and just give them a cleaner report in a lot quicker sort of time span uh, but what happened was I started talk, talking to the pen testers who came in uh, and they just sort of said well if you're interested in it why don't you send us your CV and that was it. I sent my CV to a local pen testing firm after that, and they, they offered me a role and took me on as a junior. Yeah, that's great that you just said that, because I'm right in the midst of um, doing C uh, Certified Ethical Hacker myself, uh, funnily enough. Um, my uh, manager, Carrie Hendricks, and... Uh, ID Cyber Solutions where I work um, is one of the not, not corporate trainers. sponsorship no corporate sponsorship Come it's on. who I work for is, uh, yeah, I'm fucking proud of it like, so like it's, that's not a sponsorship man like, uh, your role sounds amazing mate it's a perfect foot in the door and I think it's an amazing thing that you've, you've got this position and I think you should just embrace it completely yeah, no, but that's the thing, like, is it because he is actually an instructor do it with ethical hacking, he's getting to kind of teach me in my kind of day-to-day, um, the kind of little bits and bobs before we start properly doing the course. So the fact that you've actually done that course and it is also what led you towards pen testing is really good for me to hear because this is exactly why I wanted to have you on here, to hear how people started their careers and how I can start trying to emulate them while kind of moving forward. Um, so um, what's your day-to-day -day like? Uh, your kind of general job you're doing at the moment 
Okay, well, it ranges. I do uh, red teaming engagements, um, infrastructure, internal infrastructure, external infrastructure, and web application testing is my typical go-to. Um, normally, I, I work from home, and I'm very lucky to be able to work from home. Uh, if I'm working remote, I wake up and do the family thing. I do my kids' pack lunches and send them off to school, and then just spin up my laptop and go from there. Excellent. And that's a really fluffy answer to that, isn't it? Sorry. <laughs> no, no, no. Yeah, it's, it's, it's all right. I mean, it's similar to my day to day as well. I mean, I, I, Neil and I are, are th thankful, not thankful, good enough. Fuck knows. We, we work for the same company essentially, and we're both remote. Um, so I, I similarly do the thing. I have no kids, uh, so I prefer cars over kids. They're less dangerous. Um, cheaper as well. Ch cheaper, and uh, yes, yeah, so I, I also wake up um, and wander the the commute to my office anyway enough enough about me this this is more about neil so it's kind of in the industry uh what what's changed over the years since you started okay when we started or when i started it was a lot easier um you would just find machines that were vulnerable back to mso8 67 and you'd get a shell within three or four minutes uh being on an on a a local network from that shell you could privesc to local administrator and then there was no microsoft laps so every individual hash for the local administrator account on all the machines that are cloned over and over again were all the same so you could just spray them out we call it past the hash and you could just go hunting for your domain admin and it would normally take i don't know anywhere from plugging in from five minutes to a couple of hours and you just re replicate that over and over again. You keep seeing the same things over and over again, and and that was really how we were doing it. And then we're teaching people how to, you know, remediate that. But definitely, I've noticed over the last two or three years, uh, a lot of things have changed. People about two or three years back started heavily getting into PowerShell, and I don't know whether the infrastructure sort of engineers sort of turned around and said, "Well, we're using a tool that we really understand," um, but all of a sudden the defences against this have been dramatically you know improving to the point now where you can almost not use powershell anymore internally to exploit things uh, and we're having to go back to the kind of old school roots of uh, you know finding vulnerable services and exploits to get you know footholds into boxes again yeah definitely it is it's getting to, harder it is getting a lot more hard uh, more difficult more harder um a lot more uh, like attack paths are moving back towards kind of c sharp and binary based exploitation uh neil and i were on a job recently uh in uh in england somewhere and uh we got domain admin pretty quickly but we tried the typical route of using powershell and various other techniques and had to actually revert to using uh, c sharp so there's a tool uh, called uh, Rebus, which is part of a um, pack on GitHub called Ghostpack, and it is a C sharp based tool used for a technique called Kerberos thing. Uh, Neil is uh, well. I'll let Neil explain what Kerberos thing is because he, uh, I always let him do it because he knows fuck tons more about it than I do. Um, <laughs> I'm learning more now every time I do it. But if you want to give people a quick overview of what Kerberos thing is, that would be. Cool. You bastard, you put me on a technical question. <laughs> right, I'm going to give a fluffy answer to this. Any uh, domain user 
on your local domain has the right to make a request to your domain controllers and ask for a copy of the local service accounts alongside their correlating password hash. Now you can take that using one request with the tool you've just mentioned um, or we used to use PowerShell script or one liner that did it as well. Uh, you can also do it manually if you're very clever um, and you can take these hashes though and commonly reverse, let's say if you've got 20 like I've just had on a recent job um, you can generally reverse I don't know, 5 or 10% of those and those accounts are commonly in an administrative group of some kind and that's either local administrator on all boxes or they're in the domain admin or they're in the enterprise admin which gives you complete control over every domain joined machine in all the domains if it's the enterprise admin or as we call it the EA. Uh, so that's basically curb roasting uh, in a nutshell. Excellent. So what, what's the kind of most exciting thing for yourself in InfoSec, apart from getting DA and EA on apps? I mean, it, 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 you can only do it so many times before it gets kind of dries up a bit, but what's, what's more interesting for yourself right now? I think this is something that I'm quite bad for. I will continuously spend, I spend my entire time just compromising machines after machines after machines. And that's all we do is we compromise things. And we forget that really, it's a fluffy answer, but we're here to make things more secure. And actually, if you look now, Microsoft as an operating system, generally configured in most enterprises, is getting a lot more secure. So that's an amazing thing. That's a positive thing that's happening. But also just security in general. I don't know whether it's just we're getting deeper and deeper into it or whether it really is, but it seems to be getting more accepted by everyone and respected. You know, we're no longer the geeks of the geeks, the people who absolutely no one want to speak to. We are now seen as people that are interesting and people kind of want to get to know us and ask us how do we fix things and how do we do that so for me i think that's just the most interesting thing it's becoming more public um it's becoming more spoken about and it's becoming more accepted and we are seeing improvements excellent i'll let dave take the wheel now for a bit because people will be tired of hearing the sound of my voice <laughs> um yeah so that's uh, i think i think you're absolutely right people are taking it more seriously now that i'm finally in a job and i get to actually talk to people day daily multiple people and uh, hearing about their impressions of security, what their responsibilities are, uh, and what their concerns are as well, and what kind of stuff keeps them up at night. Um, what do you find with the kind of people that you work with? Uh, what is it that people are most scared of at the moment when you're uh, on an engagement and you're speaking, uh, or just afterwards when you're speaking to a customer? I think people are scared about their data being compromised uh, mm -hmm. and what a threat would do with that data. I think we generally, when we're on an engagement, we, we set our own goal of having to get you know some sort of administrative privileges. But the reality is, I think all an attacker cares about is getting hold of your documents, your data, the stuff that's important to you. Now, how are they going to use that? There's multiple ways how they can use that. They can sell it to a competitor. Even though I'm not 100% convinced that goes on that often. But other ways you could use that is releasing it on Postbin, which you know causes a target, a company's share price to just drop overnight. You can look at TalkTalk mm. Talk for that. And I hate to use them as an example, but you know you release information about them being hacked and their shares instantly dropped overnight. Well, you can you can bet on that. You can bet on shares dropping, and I'm wondering whether that's how people who attack things are using uh, the release of. Well, are, I'm wondering if that's why they're compromising people. And if I owned a company, I'd probably be most scared of that. You know, are we going to be compromised? Is it going to affect our share price? 
Yeah, corporate espionage almost. Like, I don't know if that answers your question. Yeah. <laughs> no, it does, absolutely then, does. Yeah, no, that absolutely does answer it. I think you're absolutely right. Fundamentally, security is there and it is to protect the data that's there. And there's so many different ways that it can be used against the company. Um, not least, like, obviously, reputation being an absolute massive one of them. Um, what kind of... Um, have you got... Uh, just taking a bit back to your life and your kind of career, because um, it is... You've been through so many different kind of similar related jobs. Um, I'm just interested to hear, is there any interesting moments kind of come to your mind from your experience in the industry, either funny or shocking or anything like that at all? Um, I've been very lucky. I've done lots of physical social engineering as well as uh, remote sort of social engineering and red I teaming. I love social engineering. And it's easy to talk about your stuff. It's sexy. You can talk about it all day. Yeah. But I, I, okay, here's, here's one example. I'm wearing a suit I'm stuck on top of a cliff edge in the pouring rain thinking I'm going to die if I slip at this moment. What the hell am I doing up here? <laughs> so that, that, that's a classic. I had a laptop bag on my back and I am just thinking, I'm looking over this cliff edge thinking, why am I even up here? How did, how did I get to this point in my life? A Birmingham lad is now in the middle of nowhere on a cliff edge thinking I'm about to die. Um, that's part of remote social engineering. I was trying to get into uh, an environment and surprisingly they were surrounded by uh, a cliff edge so they were pretty secure physically from that point of view but um, I managed to get in in the end but it took it took a bit of maneuvering uh, another example I was uh, I walked in off the streets um, to a call center environment and I'm sitting down at a desk and I've told a few people this story but I've uh, plugged my laptop in and half an hour later I'm domain admin and I'm pretty chuffed with myself so I, I turn around swinging on the chair big grin on my face and my mobile phone you know, ready to sort of show off to my mate. And um, I hear heels, I hear shoes like walking up behind me and I'm thinking, what the hell's going on? It's getting louder and louder and louder. It's just click, click, click. It's getting louder and louder and louder. And then I hear like a proper bellowing voice. You, what are you doing? Why are you on your phone? And I'm sitting in a call centre and someone's asking me why I'm on the phone. This is a bit weird. But I sort of turned around, looked up sheepishly. I went, "Um, I work in IT, I'm allowed to be. And she went, no, you're not. And you should know better. And she storms off like absolutely red face and I put my phone down like a naughty kid and then uh, the IT manager comes over to me and goes uh, the director's just um, said please tell me that's not the person who had to break into our environment and I've just given him a bollocking <laughs> <laughs> but that's probably oh, what a boy I, I, I enjoyed the physical side there's a bit of physical but people never talk about though and it might be worth bringing up it, I, I did a lot of them um, over a, a relatively short amount of period of my, my life and they're scary um, like really scary you never get over that fear of walking into a place where you don't know anyone you don't you know you don't know you don't know your way around mm. you continuously think you're about to get uh, arrested and it's worth noting these are not illegal we, we have legal authorization to do this but it, it's 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 intimidating and it, it can have a knock-on effect to you um i remember well, one time course. well i got really really like sort of stressed over doing these jobs I did a lot of them like I said in a very short period and I remember one time I went to the doctors just with some I can't remember what it was just some ailment and my doctor sort of said you know you seem a bit stressed what's your job and uh, I sort of told him about my job and what I do and I, I ended up speaking to him for about an hour and at the end, end of it he just went to me and goes I can sign you off if you want for six months and I was like you what are you kidding me I, I don't want to be signed off from this this is, this is, this is like as good as it gets so, yeah 100% so, I, I was someone I think can't remember who it was I was talking to at SteelCon, but they were actually saying that once you've managed to compromise a building and once you're actually inside, a, a big thing, to, a, a suggestion to do was to actually just go to the toilet and just oh, sit down that. for yeah, a little bit of time like, and just get that adrenaline rush down 
because I guess your flight and f- f- fight or flight response must be peaked at that moment because you are doing something that you well you have the right to do but you know that the other person if they find out who you are is going to be booting you straight out and then obviously the repercussions that come with that oh, i do that i do yeah it's just it, you just need to calm yourself down mm-hmm. i think people don't understand as well they don't we don't talk about this in the community remote um like red teaming as well generally is is also as stressful because you have yeah. this uh, like uh, this is sort of concept that you you have to succeed. You know, you're in the rent team because you've worked your way up up the ladder of sort of pen testing, and you kind of learnt tricks. So people expect you to 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 you know to be good and to be successful. And again, you're going against a target you have no idea about. You have no visibility of. And you, once you get a foothold inside, you, you don't know where you don't know any of the server names. You don't know where any of the servers are. You don't know what any of them do. You don't know what their IP ranges. You know nothing. And the simplest command like IP config or something like that, or uh, just just looking at an ARP table, can trigger an alert, and that's it. It's game over. So pe- yep. people don't realise. Yeah, like Andy goes through this all the time. You fully understand and respect the stress involved with red teaming, and uh, you know you do it alongside me, mate. So. It can be horrible, Definitely. but it's also but the best landing- job in the world. Sorry, mate. Yeah, no, that's all right. I mean, landing into an environment is key. Uh, what you've just said there, running simple commands will trigger endpoint protection. And I've had it happen before. I was on kind of a first uh, mature client, a uh, big bank, uh, last year, the year before, and uh, got got the implant in. Yes, result got got our got our um, into a target via phishing, and it was great. But immediately, it was like, oh shit, what do I do now? Like, because we knew that their blue team were hot on our heels, like they were catching stuff inside of a minute, and we had uh, our implant live for an hour. I think it was an hour, so it was the longest we've been on the network. And then I mistyped the command, and the box got triaged, and it was game over. And I was like, oh shit! So like, it, it, everything happens in a heartbeat. It's just a case of gaining experience, and uh, well, you, you you know yourself, you, you get the, you get the fear essentially. Yeah, it's probably the exact same on physical engagements as well. I mean, I've I've never done a proper physical engagement, uh, but I have accidentally on a normal engagement walked in. I say accidentally, tra- tried to get into a building uh, on a normal engagement and got in successfully. And you do get that that kind of spike in heart rate and that kind of shakiness, as it were. I'll do a physical engagement, mate. If you if you were up for it, and um, we're both ever asked to do it, I'll do it together with you. I think knowing the people you work with and the people you trust. I think it makes it a lot more fun. I think that was because I always did mine on my own. And I think when you can bounce ideas off people and go at it as more of a team, it makes it a lot easier. And I mean, that's the thing, the beauty about red teaming in theory, you should be always working together so you can bounce ideas off each other and talk about, you know, the fear and stuff like that. What kind of advice would you give to somebody that's uh, maybe if they're listening to this and they're about to tomorrow begin like their first physical engagement? Uh, what, advi- what advice would you give to them out of interest? Uh, me, I think turn up. People generally walk into an office at quarter to nine in the morning. So be there uh, a few minutes before that, uh, preferably half an hour. But this is something I've spoken about many a times. When I'm nervous, like most people, I always need the toilet. So the first thing that happens to me when I'm waiting outside a building trying to scope it out is I end up thinking I'm going to wee myself. So I generally have to run off and use the toilet, which can be really inconvenient. So for me, I like to be there 45 minutes earlier so I can find a loo, come back and chill out. Right, so I'm all ready. I'm watching people starting to walk in and then just literally start to flow with them. Walk up to them. Yeah. Uh, walk alongside their pace. Don't get alongside them. Just just slightly behind them so you look like you're just following them. You know, be on your phone. 
don't look approachable, just be like, you know, reading your messages and literally just follow them through. The second you step over that door, with confidence, try and find somewhere that you can go to. Don't try and hide in a little office. That's some mistake I used to make. You know, walk straight up someone's stairs. Just keep going, follow people through, go into what you hope is a really, really large room uh, and just sit down somewhere at a desk and see what the hell happens. That's what I generally do. Plug my laptop in and see if I get asked, you know, why you're here. It's rare that I have been asked why am I here, but it has happened to me. I've been in rooms before where people have said, you know, who the hell are you? But it's just one of those things. Do you yeah, I mean, do you prepare your answers for that, like no, for these I kind don't. of questions ahead of time, or do you just try to keep it natural, uh, as in what's happening at the moment? I'm uh, just a natural born liar. I just lie. <laughs> <laughs> it's just I don't. I, I, I my mind goes blank when I do things like this. I don't. Thing is, I'm not an expert of this. It's not something. I'm not an expert. I don't have to say I'm an expert of anything, but I think I'm probably more flavoured towards remote attacking than I am physical. It's definitely not my expertise. And there is someone, Andy, you know who, who could get for your another podcast to talk about this. Someone from our firm. But yeah, the, I mean, I was I was actually going to talk about him because he, uh, if we're talking about the same person, uh, Chris. Pritch Yep, definitely uh, talking about some also, person. Also known as uh, Ghosty on Twitter. Shout out for yourself. Uh, he's done now three talks uh, talking about how he breaks into airports, industrial control um, areas, and uh, other uh, sort airports, casinos, and uh, critical national infrastructure. He has delivery on that. I saw it the first time he gave it at SteelCon last year, and he's given it a DEFCON, and he's a really, really good presenter. But he talks about uh, kind of. The inverse to what Neil's just said there, uh, he talks about rehearsing a pretext and being like, okay, I'm Leon from IT, I'm here to help you uh, with your network, your network's down, it's slow, I'm going to help you, rather than walking up and going, I'm totally not here to hack your network, because you don't want to tell people that's what because the, the mo- moment you mention a negative, that people go, oh shit, they're here to hack my network. So it's kind of see for yeah. me it doesn't work like that. The reason why it doesn't work, and I really respect Chris's work, and he knows that, and I listen to all of his talks. I've seen a lot of them live, but for me, my mind goes blank, and I just I could rehearse, you know, for hours, weeks, and I'll just rock up and I'll just forget it, and it stresses me more to try mm. and try and remember it. I've I've tried a few times. I've tried the I'm so and so from so and so company, and I'm here to do this and do that. It just doesn't flow right. I just come across as shifty and uncomfortable. And even if they believe me, they probably think we're well, a bit shifty anyway. So I'm not going to trust it. So I just just tend to just talk rubbish to people, like talk about Game of Thrones or anything random. I try and change the subject and you know bring it onto something that I can just flow about for a bit. So at the end of the day, this is something that actors do for a living, like, and they spend entire careers, you know, getting good at being able to act either not like themselves or like imagine uh, like being able having like describing or acting in a way that's not real i'm probably going to cut this bit out or I might just leave it in <laughs> so I mean, are, you, are you talking about like film actors and things because when, when we talk about actors and security there are like threat actors threat actors, threat actors as well which is why we do physical se is to emulate them yeah, exactly, like, and having to act that way, but the, the skill itself and being able to know and rehearse lines and know a story and then being able to actually naturally provide that at the time when it's needed. Like you say, Neil, I think I'd be the same as you. I think I'd be like, I'd be too concentrated on my lines to yeah, actually be able flow to flow. Yeah, no, 110%, yeah. Um, I just, out of, um, so I, you're, obviously, as you say, you prefer doing kind of remote 
uh, testing. That's more your speciality. Is there one particular area of that where you feel like uh, you're particularly strong or that you like to talk about? about? I'd say there's one area I definitely don't like on the remote side and I have to do quite a bit of it. It's the vishing. Um, and that is the phone yeah. calls to people. Now, phone calls, I'm always under this obsession that uh, theory that it won't work. And again, I find a bit of stress involved with building up to it. But I generally do write a script for that. And mm-hmm. I generally find four seconds into reading the script, um, while I'm on the phone to someone, I drop off it because it does isn't flowing. But one of my friends, Jamie Shaw, uh, a good friend of mine, said to me uh, this technique worked for him. He phoned up a, a company and said, um, phoned up their IP, uh, IT support and said, uh, I've been uh, on holiday for a few weeks and I've come back and my account, I think I've locked it out. Can you do me a favour and just check if it's locked out? And the IT support looks and goes, uh, no, your account's not locked out. And he goes, oh, I think I've just forgotten my password then. Can you reset it for me? And they did. And he told me about this and I tried it and it worked. And then I've tried it a few more times. It's worked. This this year so far, it's, I've tried it three times. It's worked for me all three times. So it does really, really work. And that's generally what I do with that. But with regards to remote um, uh, this isn't something I want to get into on a 30-minute podcast particularly. I might do a talk about it one day. But at the moment, getting a foothold has changed. It's got a damn sight harder. Like Two years ago, we could just write a cheeky macro and uh, email it into someone as an attachment in a Word document, and you'd get a shell within five minutes of sending it in. Well, we can no longer send attachments. We now have to do hyperlinks in the email and get the, the target to actually download it themselves. But you know you can't you can't really use PowerShell one-liners in macros anymore. So we're having to look to new techniques, and uh, it's becoming really tricky. But there is still techniques out there that that are working. Um, so, but for me, the area I love most is after you've got a foothold, the enumeration and getting a feel for what's going on in their network and starting to privesque. That's the bit I love most. What are your favourite tools to use when you hit hit that stage? Uh, If you were to suggest a few for people to just do a bit of research on, I know that I'm going to be doing that immediately after this podcast. Okay, these these aren't tools that I'd use in a red team. These are tools that I'd use on an internal infrastructure test. But for Mm -hmm. an internal infrastructure test, especially people who are starting off, I still like, and a lot of people shudder at this when I say it, but I still like Metasploit. I still use it on an an internal test and I've got an internal test coming next week with Andy and Andy will be all like you know cool latest cutting edge stuff and I'm going to fire up Metasploit (laughs) and I'm going to I'm going to I'm going to I'm going to be successful with it but uh, I'll still be successful too though you, you will be no you will be of the latest and greatest you'll still be very successful I fully fully appreciate that and respect that but it's just, it's just I'm sure when he works will be cringy sometimes I think what the hell is he using but it's just, just how I am but um, CME as well what SMB exec as it used to originally be called uh, it was an amazing tool allows for the exploitation of SMB uh, which we discussed a bit about before we the, this call was started um, and uh, you give it credentials, but today it's uh, SMB exec kind of got scrapped uh, and it got replaced with CME, um, which is Crack Map Exec. Now I can't, Andy. Do you know his name off the top of your head? That's a bastard uh, question. But Bite, Bite Leader is the name of the guy that created on GitHub. There you go. You also created DevStar. Um, the CME though is an amazing tool. Um, uh, a year or two ago, I'm still I'm finding that it's starting to not work as well anymore due to reliance a lot on PowerShell. But with credentials, you can spray it out across an internal network and you can see where that user's got local admin rights and just privesque from there. Uh, that's, that's basically it. From a remote side, it's your C2 of choice. And 
Uh, I don't care what C2 you use as long as we get the job done in a team or if I'm working on my own, I can preference between two or three C2s. Um, uh, and then it's just a case of generally using um, C Sharp uh, now, where it used to be PowerShell scripts. Um, but execute assembly, which Matt Pickford taught me about uh, about six months, maybe a year ago now, blew my mind. The fact that you can run uh, executables in memory uh, with things like Cobalt Strike is amazing. Um, so I've just gone off a bit there. No, no, no. That's, that's the, right. This is the kind of stuff but, that some people might take away from the podcast, go do some research and find themselves, like you said, you had the conversation with Matt. You know, maybe this is a starting point for someone to find that tool and it'll be useful to them. Well, definitely talk to people. Don't, don't, it's very easy to be, you know, inverted in IT, especially security. And there's also a fear of asking people questions. And I have it myself. I think, oh, you know, we've got an internal chat um, application. I won't mention which one it is. <clears throat> and it scares me to ask publicly people questions because I think, oh, they're going to think I'm a bit stupid or what, why is he asking that? But I think we should, as an industry, accept that at all levels people ask questions. And I, I wouldn't. I mean, to, to add to that, I wouldn't be um, too concerned about asking questions in or ch- internal chat because if you actually watch the flow of conversation, people do ask what would be classified as stupid questions, but it happens. I mean, we've got cyber gibbons for fuck's sake. <laughs> I, I, I can't comment on that. I don't know what to say. So, sorry, <laughs> sorry, Junior. <laughs> I, I love the geezer. He's a skateboarder. He's like, yeah. But yeah, if I'm gonna, if I'm gonna, it's, I've noticed we almost hit thirty minutes, haven't we? Um, what I would say. If anyone wants to take anything away from this, lab, 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 lab. I yeah. build Microsoft domains at home. I build Exchange. I build anything I can throw a, get for free, basically. All this Microsoft stuff you can get for free. You can get like 180-day trials, is it? Uh, you can download yeah. free VMs from Microsoft if you Google free Microsoft VMs. You, you takes you to Microsoft's page where they will allow you to download a free VM. Uh, and I blogged about this on my... Uh, blog, which I can't remember what the URL is. That's really bad. Leetred. <laughs> That's the one. Leetred, yeah. Um, me and Jamie wrote this blog about a year ago, two years now, about three years ago now, time flies. And we haven't updated it in two years. Um, Andy, what is it again? It's. We'll, we'll put it in the show notes, but it's Leetred, so 1337red.wordpress.com. Thank you very much, my my PR advisor. Uh, it's been embarrassing. <laughs> no, there's, there's one blog post on there. It's about building a Microsoft lab at home. Uh, and I think really everyone should do that if you're in security. Um, you can do it all in virtualization. You do it for free with VirtualBox and uh, go from there and attack it. And it also includes a section on how to make your servers vulnerable to curb roasting and then how to actually perform it. Yeah, well, th- that's actually the exact point uh, of my kind of career uh, that I'm at because, I've, I've, as I say, I'm doing a bit of um certified ethical hacker at the moment and i've kind of went through most of the oscp material but i'm now really starting to get my hands dirty and what i've really been playing with a bit more has been things like setting up domain controllers like setting up different forms of windows server like all through virtualization hyper v that sort of stuff um and really just getting ready to uh, start putting all this theory that i've had in my head like into a bit more practice um so yeah i think that's absolutely fantastic advice as well Cheers, I'm great. Amazing doing that. If you ever have any questions, if anyone ever has any questions, they can ask me on Twitter or DM me as well. You're a good guy, man. You're an absolute good guy. Um, so, yeah, I think as you say, like we're kind of probably getting to the uh, end of the cast. You've talked about so many interesting things, like, and I really thanks for uh, taking the time out of your life to actually do this. Um, what kind of 
have you got anything you want to plug at all? Is there anything you're involved in at the moment? Um, or plan on being in the future that you'd like to re- relay to the people that might be listening with? Uh, to this? I have nothing really to plug apart from my Twitter, which is my exploit 2600. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, I'll be talking at some conferences and doing some workshops next year, I hope. Excellent. Yeah, that is awesome. Uh, Neil, thank you so much for your time. Uh, thank Andy, you very much. Any closing comments? Yeah, uh, just to talk about kind of upcoming things, I think guests to follow this uh, guy that uh, Neil and I work with, a guy called Stuart Kennedy, also known as uh, Newbie Dog on Twitter. Uh, he is, I think, quite good to follow this up because he's kind of social engineering, red team sort of stuff. So. Yeah, very cool background. So Yeah, very interesting background. So I think it'd be worth having him maybe on the next episode or um, like future ones to come. Actually, the next episode is not going to be a guest because the next episode is going to be live in Glasgow. Live uh, from G- Glasgow. Dun, dun, Glasgow dun. Caledonian University. I can't remember what day it's on. <laughs> it's Saturday the 12th of October. Thank you, because uh, I'm actually working there and doing the podcast. Three, I think it's 3.45 we're going to be on. 3.45 till 4. Uh, I'm not 100% sure how we're going to stream it, but it will be live streamed. Mm-hmm. So fuck knows how we're going to do that. But, and uh, in front of a live studio audience. It's not even going to be a studio audience. It's going to be a bunch of random people. An actual people. audience. Like. An actual audience, yeah. It's going to be so no, fucking weird. No canned laughs, none of that shit. It's like so this morning with Richard and Judy on tour. <laughs> yeah. That's exactly Richard that. and Judy talk infosec. Like, I'd watch that. But. Dave and Andy chat shit for 45 minutes in front of a bunch of people. I'm sure it's fine. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it. I really, really am. It's really nice to see uh, a conference in Glasgow. Obviously the home of WeGcast and um, it'll be really interesting to talk to all the students that are there, the lecturers and people involved in the scene. Um, just a heads up for anyone that is also local, uh, We next Tuesday I believe it is DEFCON and Andy, am I right in saying that we've got a lock picking session? Yes we do indeed, uh, so another guest who we hope to have on the podcast at some point, uh, a guy called Steve Wilson also known as Automation or uh, you probably punch me. I've got it wrong. Anyway, uh, we'll put put it on the the, the show notes. He, him and a guy called Tim uh, run a lock picking, uh, not, not a company, but kind of they run it at conferences and it's called Moon on a Stick, Lock Picking and Coffee. I've uh, got that wrong as well, so probably get punched again. Uh, but alas, <laughs> the worst plug, look. worst worst plug ever. But alas, uh, this Tuesday coming, so the first of October, uh, from seven thirty p.m. in the Glasgow Cardinal University. Union, uh, uh, I'll tweet out the account. There will be a lock picking workshop where they're going to show us how to pick locks and uh, how lock sport is good fun. Something yeah. that I have done before, but I wouldn't say I'm in any way talented. And uh, these guys know the shit, so it'll be good. Yeah, big thanks as well to Caledonian University for um, sorting us out for. Uh, a venue for DEFCON as we uh, our usual venue was double booked and so um, that, that, that'll be fantastic I can't wait for that I can't wait for G3C uh, and uh, yeah just uh, I just want to say again Neil thanks for being our first guest we will absolutely look to have you on again uh, and in the meantime thanks everybody for listening thank, thank you really very much it. thank you much thank you cheers right, let's... goodbye goodbye